This episode of the Insurance Coffee House is sponsored by Insurance Search. Insurance Search provides executive recruitment services to insurance companies and brokers in the UK and across the United States. Visit insurance-search.co.uk for more details. The Insurance Coffee House, the place where you get to meet and learn from some of the most successful insurance business leaders from across the world. Hosted by Nick Hoadley, CEO of Insurance Search. Welcome to the Insurance Coffee House, the place where you get the chance to meet and learn from some of the most successful insurance business leaders on the planet. On today's episode, I'm delighted to be joined by Gary Shaughnessy, who is the former CEO of Zurich Amir and now chair of the Zurich Z Foundation. Welcome to the show, Gary. Thank you, Nick. Good to be here. Gary, it is an absolute privilege to have you on the show today. You've got extensive career and I'm sure our listeners are going to be really interested to hear all about it. So what we're going to do before we go into the questions, it'd be great if we can just share a little bit about your your time at Zurich, the charities you're involved with, and also a little bit about your background before you're at Zurich as well. So if I can start by asking you about that. Gary, if you wouldn't mind just sharing with us a little bit about your time at Potential and, and Fidelity and, and your roles you had there. Yeah, so before I joined Zurich, I'd got about 25 years of experience uh, across different financial services companies, both general insurance, life insurance, investment management, and retail banking. Uh, and my, my start point was as a marketeer, and I moved into business development. The, the last two roles before uh, Zurich were Prudential and M&G, where I worked for about six years and M&G was acquired by Prudential and I went through that merger which was was fascinating actually as, as well as re, the revamp of, of M&G as a brand and as an investment company and Fidelity a real powerhouse a very different company as a partnership rather than um, you know an, an open listed vehicle and uh, uh, really an interesting company both in terms of investment management but also and supermarkets. Great. You joined Zurich in 2012, I believe, mm. and obviously led a very successful time as CEO of EMEA. If you could sort of just give us a, a brief summary about the, the roles you enjoyed when you were head of head of UK and, and how you transitioned into that position for of responsibility across the EMEA group and, and what you achieved during that time. So, um, I mean, when I started at, at Zurich, actually, it was uh, a really challenging time for, for the company and for the industry because it was for the retail distribution review and Zurich UK Life was, was a, you know, a major player in, in the UK bond investment market at the time. Complete change for many uh, investment advisors and a change for, for Zurich in, in terms of both really understanding the protection capability, which was a big part of the business, and, and the real skill in terms of particularly uh, underwriting, or what's the best phrase, underwriting for, for people with, with impaired, impaired issues, whether it be a, anything from smokers to people who, who are less fit, overweight, yeah. through you know, some, some much more serious issues to consider both in terms of life cover and critical illness. 
So it was a, it was a real reshaping of the business at the time and the launch of, of both retail and corporate platforms. Important country for the group. Uh, we then went through mo- moving from the life and, and general insurance business to start bringing those together. At the same time, was fortunate enough to have, have been um, identified to run the global life business at, at, in 2015. And we had a really tough year at Zurich in 2014-15. Change in uh, some, some major, major losses across the group. And that brought in Mario Greco, the, the group CEO. And I was very fortunate that he selected me to, to run the reshaped EMEA business, which was bringing together the life, GI and commercial businesses all under, under one roof. Great. And how did you go about doing that, Gary? Uh, well, for me, it, it's all about uh, the team. I mean, I was really fortunate that whilst we'd had some challenges in that year, actually the quality of the people and this applied exactly the same when I joined in 2012. The quality of the people was exceptionally high. The, the teamwork was, was good. We just needed to make sure that we brought the teams together behind you know, an ambition and, and really clear, focused ambition and made it happen. Mm. And fortunately, as I say, I inherited a good team. They then worked really well together. And my job, as much as anything, was to make sure that I knocked down obstacles that were getting in the way of success and and uh, really brought their, their talent out. And uh, over the next three years, we moved from Amir being a, um, a troubled business to one where profits were growing, customer satisfaction was growing through the NPS score, numbers of customers was, was growing uh, both in, in retail and commercial markets. And and then that success has carried on absolutely over the, over the um the 18 months since I was this, the CEO of the EMEA region. Great. And um, I'm sure our, our listeners would be keen to hear about, about the, the difference in, in numbers between when you, when you joined and when you finished in that role. Is that something you can, you can share with us? Well, it's, it's difficult to give an, a precise number because we started, when I started Emir was had separated the life and the general insurance business, and then clearly I, I, I took the two overall together. I we were uh, significantly less than a billion in profit in um, when I when I took on the role for the Emir region, and we were approaching two billion in profit by the time that we uh, uh, that, that I, I moved into semi-retirement. And you know we saw that in country after country. Actually, I mean that was the other key thing: the team was both a central team, but actually the individual countries. So people like Tulsi Naidu in the UK have, has done a phenomenal job of, of, of really focusing the UK business and then building it. Uh, yeah. Florence Tondu Malik in France, exactly the same thing in the commercial business. Yeah, fantastic, fantastic. You, you mentioned moving into your semi-retirement mm. phase. Semi-retirement will mean different things to different people, but I imagine your, your diary is pretty pretty hectic still so yeah if you could give us a bit more of an insight into the work you're now doing for the Zurich Z Foundation and and some of the other charities and initiatives you're you're involved with. So really I do three things now I'm still um, um, an advisor for the Zurich group so I sit on the UK life board and the Swiss life board and I, I chair the group pensions committee and and that's you know something I enjoy the thing I really enjoy, though, is chairing the Zed Zurich Foundation. I mean, this is a 
uh, an independent foundation, but the donation main donations come from from Zurich, and it supports our role in communities across the world, and through a firstly a global flood resilience program with with uh, some alliance partners um, in in nine countries, 130 communities, um, impacting about a quarter of a million people. But then secondly, programs in countries, as I say, all across the world, looking at inclusion, looking at well-being and particularly mental health issues. And most recently, clearly having a a very important role to play in supporting communities with the real challenges of COVID-19. Yeah, it certainly sounds like... um you've still got a lot of plates that you're spinning and I'm sure the people involved are very, very grateful that you do. Gary, if I can um, now take you towards our, our our main section of our interview today. Before we do, as we're in the insurance coffee house, can I ask what's your go-to coffee of choice in the morning? It's um, This is really boring. It, it's an Americano, so black black uh, coffee with, with sugar. Um, I had... Um, Several years of, of commuting on the uh, train into into London into Waterloo, and I wouldn't recommend Southwest trains yeah. black coffee in the morning. I'm afraid, but it was the only one that available to me. Well, I'm a black coffee drinker too, and I think I've been on that line from um, from certainly from Reading into London. And if you've got a black americano filled to the brim, you can get half of it down your suit if you're not not careful either. I've, I've seen that happen definitely. <laughs> Great. So, uh, Gary, I'd love, love to start off now by um, asking you what you do personally on a daily basis that helps set you up for a successful day. I haven't got any routine, really. In fact, the last couple of months with lockdown has been the closest I've had to a routine. So I get up in the morning now and I feed the chickens and I feed the fish. <laughs> but I almost deliberately don't want to have a routine. I, I like variety. And for me, what's most important is uh, the best days I have is when I spend time talking with people. I get all my energy from people. And that, that you know, if, if I don't get the opportunity to talk to different people, particularly in different countries since I've had, had the broader role, you know, I, I definitely feel much, much more sedate and that's not a good thing. So people, people matter to me. So you're not... You're not yoga at 5 a.m. in the morning type of person. It's a get up and see see what's going to happen on that particular. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I I do running quite often early in the morning, but I, the thing for me is that what I won't do is do the same thing day in day out. That doesn't work for me. No, that's uh, everybody's got their own routines or um, non-routine, as the case may be. Gary, we, we've talked a lot about your successes so far within insurance and clearly we recognize in order to be successful there's often challenges and setbacks along the way so Mm. can I ask you what's been your biggest setback in your career and how did you go about overcoming it? So I actually think there's two and and two very different ones I mean the first one was entirely self-inflicted in that I failed my degree because I spent uh, three years enjoying myself. And, <laughs> but what it actually did was lead to a big part of my success in that without failing that degree, I don't think I would have had the drive to say, look, I'm going to put this right and, and learn from that and knuckle down and, and you know focus much more. The second setback I had is uh, not my, you know, nothing of my doing, but 
again, has been part of leading to the success I've had, which was when I was diagnosed with Parkinson's six years ago. What it did teach me was it made me step back and think about what am I genuinely good at versus what do you normally expect from someone in a CEO role? And it led to me recognizing that what I do well is understand people, bring together diverse teams and 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 help them be successful by knocking out barriers rather than trying to be technically more adept than than each of them. And uh, I saw that before my diagnosis when I worked for AXA with the FA Cup team. Dean Longmuir and the team were brilliant. And all I had to do was keep, get out of the way. The same happened in EMEA with, um, uh, in Zurich because my job was to bring the team together and have a clear view of where we're going to. Mm. The same with the Z Zurich Foundation in COVID-19. You know, it, across the world, people have done some outstanding, remarkable things supporting communities at a really tough time. Not because there's a central you know, decision to, to make people do things in a particular way, but because we can free up talent. And that's been what I've learned from the set that I had six years ago. It's amazing that you can bring such positivity from... From that situation, do you think people now during this COVID time, where they're they're forced to spend more time at home and reflect upon things, do you do you think that's an opportunity for people to reassess what they're doing and what their goals are and what what their strengths are as a leader? Yeah, I definitely think that. I definitely think. That. I mean, I think you've got to be careful not to over overthink it. But actually, when you step back, it's amazing how you you can focus on what it is that matters to you much more than what you should be seen to do. I think we can all get focused on expectations of a CEO, of a senior leader, and, and, and that's, you know, that's not always a good thing to do. So it's what matters as well as what you're good, good at doing as well. Great. And you, you mentioned that you, you failed your degree because you enjoyed your three years there. I'm, I'm sure that's, that's very easily done. Most insurance professionals do fall into the industry. So how, how did you get into the insurance industry? And when was that light bulb moment where you realised everything clicked and you could be successful in insurance? Well, I guess I got into financial services, ironically, because I worked for Reading Borough Council and in my first job in their leisure department. And, and I had to sell space on roundabouts for flower displays believe it or not and an american finance house took uh, space for one of the the flower displays and then offered me a job at the same time so um that's that's how i got into financial services and i've just been very lucky how i progressed i'm not sure i ever had a eureka moment what i did there was one brilliant point in my career though second day after i joined zurich i was in the office in swindon and Tim Culling and Pam Webb, who ran the Zurich Community Trust, which is the equivalent of the Z Zurich Foundation for the UK, came in and talked to me. And it was the first time I'd really thought about how insurance can be so core to the social good, but also the social development of, of our society. And, you know, I think we forget what insurance, sometimes we forget what insurance is all about, actually. Um, and I came out of that meeting both inspired by them, but also much clearer about the importance of insurance and the benefit of having a, a vibrant insurance industry. 
So understanding that bigger picture on the the purpose of insurance as a whole. Right. Yeah. Great. During your career, have you had a, a mentor or an inspirational leader that you've gained gained some advice and some learnings from, and you've helped to progress your career? I've had so many people that I've been lucky enough to work with. I mean, um, and one one thing I'd say is it's very dangerous to end up with with one person that you kind of put on a pedestal because no no one's perfect. But early in my career. I worked for the Automobile Association, a guy called Jeff Larkins. He used to have a cup of tea and read his read the FT at three o'clock every uh, every day. And I learned how to be calm in the in the eye of a storm from him. I mean, he was incredible. Anthony Bolton, when I was at uh, Fidelity, incredible investment uh, leader, tremendous track record, real challenges when we launched the China Special Situations Fund, and I learned humility from him. Barry Wells launched the direct business, uh, direct motor business at, at AXA, is now, uh, having sold a, a, um, a commercial business, has now set up Box for Kids, at, at, at an incredible charity, real integrity. People like Tulsi Naidu, I mean, resilience, but also leadership, Cecilia Reyes, followership. And I've also learned a huge amount from, uh, since I've been chair of Parkinson's UK, from people I've come across in, in the charitable sector. So uh, people like Zach Rosenberg and Liz McCartney, who, who gave up being really top-class lawyers to set up a project in New Orleans around um, Hurricane Katrina. Sally Bromley, who is the chair of Parkinson's in Oxford, who set up a, the First Steps programme. And most recently, the, the GDNF trial participants, people who've had really invasive brain surgery in order to try and find a, a cure for Parkinson's and absolutely incredible. If you, you learn so much from these people. So I've been very fortunate. Wow. That must be totally, totally inspiring. It, it is. And you, you know, you, sometimes you, you can get yourself to being very focused on where you are and what, what seems like a really difficult point period from your perspective. And, uh, you find examples of people who are just superb, who deal with a lot worse than uh, than any of us deal with. That's so true, and it's it's those inspiring people who can who we can look to actually when when times are tough for us, and we can realise, yeah, our our cards that we've been dealt are perhaps not not so bad. So, very very inspiring, Gary. I know a lot of our listeners will be wondering about the market over the next three to five years or so with the uncertainty as we come out of this situation. If I can ask you to look into your crystal ball and ask you what what you see the direction of the insurance industry taking over the next few years. And key question really is how how should business leaders and insurance business practitioners, how should they adapt to be successful in those times? Gosh, if I had a crystal ball, I'd, I'd, I'd definitely use it. But I, I mean, I think the first thing is, I do think COVID-19 actually creates opportunity for us all to look at how can we develop a more sustainable and a more fairer society going forward. And I, and I absolutely think insurance has a really critical role in, in doing that, enabling people to take risk and, and sharing risk. I do think we'll, we'll move continue to move from resolution of claims to 
prevention of risk and management of risk in in a in you know with more services and less products and and more of a partnership with with customers whether those customers are corporates or whether they're individuals i think the one of the the biggest issue for us the biggest issue for us as an industry is trust you know we still are not perceived uh with the level of trust that that uh, i think we should do but equally we've got to make sure that we earn and and, and deserve that trust and I think new models that enable us to have much more of a partnership with with our our customers, I think, will be a big part of that. But that's for me is the, the number one issue. So bringing the insurance providers and the customers closer together. Yeah, I mean, ultimately, I I don't think it feels it feels to many customers is a win lose relationship. Mm. That, that, necessarily always the case but perception is really important and sometimes it has been the case and you know if we if we can understand how we genuinely add value to customers long term and they can understand how we we genuinely do something that they value that's a relationship that's that can be very powerful gary our next round is the espresso round it's called that because our questions are short sharp and straight to the point so can I now ask, are you, are you ready for the espresso round? I'll try to be, yeah. The espresso round. Gary, what is your number one favourite success quote? I haven't really got a success quote, but, but, but one of the people I admire most is my wife, Janet. And she, she consistently says, focus on what you can do, not on what you can't do. Fantastic. And what is the number one thing you see holding back insurance professionals from being more successful? I think we divide quite often the capabilities from the customer and the difference we make in the market and understanding understanding what difference we can make to society and to individual customers and linking that with capabilities is key. We have great expertise and sometimes we have great understanding. We've got to match the two together. Got to bring them bring them together, bring that relationship together closer. Yeah. Great. At Zurich, what do you do there to drive forward the standards of the insurance industry? So I, I think this is where the Zeb Zurich Foundation is critical to Zurich, actually, is because it's uh, for me what it is is a a mechanism that helps not just deliver from a societal point of view, but it helps develop the, the Zurich culture. And one really important part of that that's, that's uh, I think is is crucial is by definition the foundation and the way that we engage with with communities is not hierarchical, and it's not all about how much experience or capability you've got. It's about it's about your commitment, your passion, your ability to interact with people, and so people learn a lot from it. But they also have the opportunity to to shine, and they and it also brings a cultural set of, of thoughts in terms of values, in terms of what is important and how, how we treat each other. So I think it's every bit as important as having, you know, developing the right technical skills. Creating those well-rounded people. So can, so can people who work for Zurich, can they get heavily involved in the, in the foundation? Yeah, absolutely. And um, um, so we only have... Seven, uh, uh, seven, just about uh, people. The reason I, I say just about is that there's a couple of people who are, are part time with us as well. But 
in the foundation itself. Most of the people who work on the foundation are people who work as uh, within Zurich and then commit their time to the communities and the, the charity partners that we work with and the causes. So um, it, it's that's central to it. It isn't. It isn't a separate foundation that runs as a separate entity with a big team of people. That's great. So I know there's a, an awful lot of people out there who who want to be involved in initiatives like that, but sometimes find it hard to get the time off from work or to fit it in with with their commitments at work. So having that foundation so closely with with Zurich must be um, really appealing for a lot of people who, who who join the company. So a really good example of that is our Tackle Your Feelings program in Ireland, launched with Rugby Players Ireland, dealing yeah. with the stigma of uh, mental health issues. Actually started in schools and communities for youngsters and but has been a big part of of the way that we we work as as an employer and i mean people have really gone above and beyond but also been very open about their personal um stresses and and issues as part of that so it's not just time it's also willingness to be open and and be a role model actually that's great and our our next question links in really well with that so how do you develop and nurture talent at the business and help them to become successful insurance business leaders? So this has changed quite a bit over the last five or six years. So three years ago, we we bought talent rather than built, built talent. So two thirds of job roles were, were filled by, senior job roles were filled by people out, from outside of the organisation. Uh, that's now completely reversed. So uh, we have a deliberate focus on really building talent, not on, just on an annual basis, but on a multi-year basis. So looking at a person's ambition, aspirations and capabilities and, and trying to create those opportunities over a five-year period, not just, you know, is there a role? Do they fit it? Shall we put them in it? What we've also done at the same time, though, is be uh, much more thoughtful about how you bring new talent into the organisation. Uh, so someone like Connie Kalka, who, who actually came from Lego as our chief customer officer, because she can disrupt and think about things in a different way. Mm. It's some major appointments in terms of specific roles the, from people who've come from within the industry because of their capability and what they bring to, to the team that we have already. So we're much more thoughtful about how we bring people into the organisation and then making sure that we retain talent and develop people on a, a much longer term basis. Fantastic. Fantastic. And finally, Gary, our last question in the espresso round. If you woke up tomorrow morning with all of the knowledge and all the experience that you've built up over the last 30 years, but your your position and your company, Zurich, wasn't there, how would you go about starting again in your career? Gosh, good question. I think what I'd do is I'd start with what's the outcome rather than what's the process. So, you know, what are we actually delivering? What's the value of that? And what value does the customer see in it? And then you can build the processes to support it. You know, all too often, what because something's there, we have a process that, that um, delivers rather than an outcome that it drives everything. So you start with the end goal and reverse engineer the steps back to yourself to create that. 
or back back to the customer actually to create it, and then you you, you know you fit in. Yeah, I mean, we're just guardians of of any business that we we're, we're part of. Fantastic, fantastic, Gary. Very very interesting, and thank you so much for your for your time today. Just finally, um, if you've got one piece of closing advice for our listeners, and how do they go about contacting you after the show? I can't give um, one piece. I'll give you three if that, that, that helps. So, uh, firstly, I'd say embrace difference. You know, it's only through actually bringing together different skills, different talents, different mindsets that you succeed. Be um, lose your ego and learn. You know, and the third one is avoid dementors. The the Harry Potter dementors who tell you what what's uh, you need to be realistic about what could go wrong but actually you know you, you can convince ourselves that we can't achieve lots of things that that actually are within our ability to do so if we're not careful uh, and if anyone wants to contact me uh, i'm on linkedin uh, they're welcome to email me as well and uh, uh, or, or phone me but linkedin's probably the easiest way to get a hold of me Gary, that's fantastic advice thank you so much and uh, to our listeners out there will of course be adding the link to uh, Gary's LinkedIn uh, profile in the show notes. Gary, once again, it's been a real pleasure to have you today. Thank you for giving up your time for us. And thank you for all your insights you've given us. Thanks, Nick. I really enjoyed it. Really appreciate it. To all the insurance business leaders out there and to all of our other listeners from across the world, if you've enjoyed our show today, please leave a five-star review on iTunes or leave a a comment or feedback for us we'd love to hear more if you are interested in perhaps being a guest on our podcast we'd love to hear from you too so without further ado i've been nick hoadley this has been the insurance coffee house take care for now you've been listening to the insurance coffee house with nick hoadley join us next time to hear more insights and inspiring success stories to help you become a better insurance business leader available to download or subscribe now